Hi, welcome to the Science of Fiction. Uh, I'm Will, and if you were listening last week um, when I was speaking to Cam Robinson, you know that Andrew wasn't able to join us because he was busy. Yes, so I was off recording a show for the BBC World Service wow. all about cyborgs. Whoa. Coincidentally called What If We Could All Be Cyborgs, which is of no relation to uh, the What If Machine, which is Cam Robinson's video show on Games- GameSpot. Yes, yeah, so uh, the Discovery Strand of the World Service has been running... Uh, a load of shows are called What If dot dot dot, and then looking at things, uh, what if really? It's, it's quite a simple title, quite a simple plan, and uh, we obviously thought that it would be sensible this week to perhaps look in more depth, take some of the things that that show didn't cover because that show wasn't actually about fiction; that was about fact. Which, uh, as we all know, fact is way less important than fiction. People, people making up lies about things is. Yeah, fiction. Is, is our goal here. Yes, we're, so we'll be looking at the fiction and the fact, and without any further ado, I think that leads us straight into our first track of the day. Which you may understand pretty quickly. Steve Austin, astronaut. A man barely alive. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We have the capability to make the world's first bionic man. Steve Austin will be that man. Better than he was before. Better. Stronger. Faster. So that was the theme tune to The Bionic Man. The Six Million Dollar Man? Oh yes, who was Bionic? Sorry, I... Was it... Was the Bionic Woman the spin-off series? I'm, I'm not really that up on my, what, 60s sci-fi? 60, I think it's, only, it's 40 years ago, so 70s. Okay. I may, I may be wrong. I, and, and that was, of course, all the sound quality that the 70s could manage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, apologies if you're sitting there going, but my sound system can do better than this. Uh, the decade it was made in apparently couldn't or at least the recording mechanisms couldn't so but bionics so the people who don't know the six million dollar man he was apparently a pilot flying a plane that crashed and they had to rebuild him uh interestingly if you did watch the intro it is actually a real crash oh so, so did, did an actual person get injured in the crash an actual test pilot did get quite badly lose a few limbs yes. and that's the opening uh so he didn't get rebuilt but he was a test pilot uh, and uh, I think they get the plane wrong if you read the Wikipedia page. They they re- they called it one type of plane. In fact, it was another. So apparently, people get very touchy about this. Which was was one of the running jokes in Airplane is that like Airplane being everyone's possibly everyone's favourite totally um, serious t- tone tone deaf um, comedy. And w- one of the one of the in jokes is that the. the Planes in films always make the wrong noise, and so whenever they showed photogra- uh, footage of the outside of the plane, the sound was deliberately wrong. It wasn't just accidentally wrong. They deliberately made it be completely the wrong sound. It's been a while since I watched Aeroplane, but does it get more and more ridiculous until it just starts coming ridiculous noises which aren't even aeroplanes? No, but it does, they, they do have a lot, of, a lot of kind of stock footage of actual plane crashes for the character who has flashbacks to his military experience. So, six million dollar man. Um, he was rebuilt. He had a bionic arm, two bionic legs, or some other way around, and a bionic eye that could see in infrared. Whoa! Is that was that useful to him? 
I don't know. I actually don't know. It, the weird thing is, nature doesn't really do infrared vision. It some things can sense infrared. Oh really? So snakes have a sense of some glands on the front of their face, and they sort of get some direction with infrared. But actual optics in that part of the spectrum is very difficult because it's got a lot less energy, and it just where evolution sat is between the sort of lower energy of red going any further isn't very great for it and going above what we can see in the blue or the violet to ultraviolet again that becomes quite damaging so we seem to have found a nice sweet spot for chemistry and uh, ultraviolet is um yeah it's is damaging not only to your eyes and so on but to to cells in general yeah and according to um troll hunter which is an, e- an excellent um norwegian movie about well hunting trolls it's fatal to trolls Oh, is it? Yeah, and the and, and the the, um, the eponymous troll hunter uh, because he's afraid he he doesn't like sleeping in the dark because you know that's when the trolls come out. So he sleeps basically on a tanning bed and has to wear a load of sun cream to to sleep. So I mean, the thing about ultraviolet, of course, is that the infrared part of the spectrum, the ultraviolet spectrum, is massive. I mean, the, because because we can't see it, we give it quite a large region. Where we talk about red, green, and blue, they're quite narrow regions. And so there are things that creep into the ultraviolet a bit. I think bees are one of them who can see some ultraviolet, and I've got an odd feeling that some birds can, but it, you, they don't make great progress into that region. And the, the, one of the first uh, colour cameras, or you know, demonstrations of co- colour photography, was actually, they actually cheated, um, though they didn't realise at the time, uh, that the, the, the plate they used to capture the red light was actually not sensitive to visible red light at all. It was sensitive to uh, infrared. And it just so happened that the things they were photographing had similar... Balance of colours in the infrared as in the red. Oh, that's cool. Because if you take plant life, it comes out in infrared. You see the plants are white. Huh. It's really there's actually a load of photographs of Cambridge in infrared that get sold on postcards all the time, uh, and it kind of looks like it snowed. But if you look carefully, there's no snow. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the weird thing, of course, is saying that eyesight doesn't really like infrared because it's low energy. Cameras, CCDs in your like digital camera, they're really really sensitive to infrared, so they have to actually block it out with a filter. I remember hearing about someone who realised they could um, troll photographers at tourist sites because um, if you have a flash which is not connected to your camera, uh, the you, you the flat there were two ways they trolled them. One of them is that they they got a device which just triggered all flashes within ten meter radius. Yeah, so if you're set up to use a remote trigger, it looks for an infrared pulse. Exactly. So they had another um, trick where uh, they they looked for that infrared pulse of the of the flash and projected an obscene image in infrared. Or perhaps, perhaps even visible, just only for a split second, onto the um, objects that people would photograph, and so they would look at their photograph and say, "Wow, what, what? That wasn't there when I took this." Oh, that's bad. And, and then and have no, have have to kind of figure out uh, trial and error. Oh, there's someone over there, cracking up. I mean, if you're really eager, you can also take your sort of webcam something done with a part, remove the infrared filter, stick in a visible light filter which often seems to be a bit of old, overdeveloped negative works quite well. And then you have yourself an infrared camera, so you can go and explore the infrared world. The infrared world within a two-metre radius of a USB port. Yes, and only the near-infrared, so you can't see this, you know, these sort of wonderful heat cameras that show how hot things are. You don't really get that. You get more of just some colours you can't see that are a little bit outside the visible spectrum. One of the interview subjects um, on on your um, show was, um, was, was a man with a... a but with uh, a well, not a bionic eye, but an additional sensor so to help him a, see colours. This is a gentleman uh, in Spain who actually set up the Cyborg Institute down there, and uh, he was born without the ability to see colour. And being an artist, that was quite interesting because he had to get permission not to use colour at his fine art course. 
and what he has done is he he's attached a webcam to some things at the back of his skull and they vibrate at different frequencies depending on the color they see and that allows him to perceive color so so he hears different colors as different tones of the sc- of, yeah. of, of the octave and from the samples played on it it sounded like it wasn't continuous it was uh, quantized so that he only it wasn't just a continuous scale of notes as it slid around it was discrete notes so he so he could hear purple rather than shades of purple which is probably more useful yeah and one thing he did comment about is he, he's pushed that into the infrared and the ultraviolet which actually got a lot of very negative responses because people quite didn't quite like it's odd installing something into someone they already should have or could have it was fine but going beyond that upset a lot of people uh, but he says he, when he walks in the shops he can tell you get these counters at the doors which fire an infrared beam and see how he'll walk in and out he can hear them clicking away Wow. Of course, he can't see them because this this, this isn't integrated with his uh, with, with his um, optic nerve or anything. Well, the odd thing is, he now dreams in color. But he dreams in co- in herd colors. Yeah. Wow. So he he, he said that's when he knew his body sort of taught, brought it into his world model. What's also so this has been in the news quite recently is there are some mice that can see with an infrared chip. How does that work? So they've attached an infrared camera effectively to the top of the mouse that then has a set of electrodes going into the brain that touch on where the touch sensors are. And when they flash an infrared light, uh, part of the brain gets fired. So they feel infrared light is like a sensation in touch. It describes it as being on the face, but, I mean, we don't exactly know because the mice aren't very good at talking. But I I suppose the hypothesis is that that over time these mice will will, um, learn to... Well, not not consciously learned, but adapts to recognising that they aren't actually being touched. So the experiment was done with... They had a visible light to tell them where food was and an infrared light, and they slowly weaned them off the visible light onto the infrared light. And so successfully, successfully so. Yeah, so that's how it got published. So Incredible. It's kind of cool that you can sort of do that, but also not cool having electrodes in your brain. No. Well, yeah, I used to think that I would, I would sign up immediately to have things installed, and then I re- wrote some software, and now... It seems like a terrible idea. Don't trust people with computers. No, but it's one of the problems. Actually, I, I didn't, didn't hear the, um, the the folks at the Cyborg Institute talking about this. Um, but I think one of the big problems with this um, kind of wearable wearable computing or just wearable electronics must be uh, batteries, because batteries batteries are not small and depending on the devices, these things will use a lot of power. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is where you talk about a webcam. Itself is reasonably bulky. It has to, you know, it's on its head and all the time. Uh, and I think you can run that off a battery for quite a while. But when we talk something like an artificial heart, which now a reason... I don't want to say we're common, because there aren't that many people with them, but, you know, it is something that will be done to people when they can't find a donor heart. Right. You almost end up with one of those, you know, those trolleys that you sort of imagine those old ladies putting around mm-hmm. with a battery in. Wow, and and I think a lot of them actually, the all the pneumatics is in there too. So what it does is it pushes compressed air into the body to uh, then pump the heart, uh, rather than having all the electronics in the body as well. But I mean that's, I'm sure that's not a requirement. That's just how they found it solves the problem best. And these hearts actually do beat, where some of the earlier ones were didn't beat, so the person wouldn't have had a pulse. Wow, but is, but is there anything in the body which depends on having a pulse? Uh, uh, no, other than being confused. <laughs> yeah, so the bigger problem is that if that person decides to go running, and let's assume the battery isn't a problem for a moment, they s- their, pul- their heart doesn't know they're running, so they don't increase the blood supply, so they just fall over because they just huh. run out of oxygen. So you need to somehow make the artificial heart react to 
the demands of the body and that interface isn't there it just pumps and pumps and pumps so as long as you don't want to go too far you're okay yeah, I mean I guess that makes sense and then there's been a bunch of, there are well it's better than dying absolutely and, there, and on a much smaller scale there are watches and things which um, generate power um, by 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 the move by, by your movement of your body well or, or I mean it's I mean, the watch I've got on today is the standard analog watch, and a lot of these ones just have a, a capacitor that's charged by a weight that bounces back and forth, and that t- runs a little generator. And I mean, they've been around for years. Uh, but of course, that's a, moving a tiny little hand around around a dial is a much uh, different proposition to yeah. I mean, to, that, to, pu- to pumping compressed air and blood around the body. I mean, this is the thing: it's how much energy you want, to, well, how much power, the rate you want to take the energy out of that thing. If you want to take a large amount of energy out for a very short time once in a while or you want to take a small amount for a long period that's fine it's when you want to continuously take large amounts and this is you know not cyborgs but this is the problem with electric cars is you just don't have the range on a lot of them that you'd want because you need a lot of power for a car yeah and the and the the um the, the folks that there, there was the controversy i think we mentioned last week around uh, tesla's electronic cars um but even if you even with the you know here's what actually happens parts of the um, various mudslinging from te- Tesla people saying, yeah, you know, all you have to do is every three hours charge your car up for 20 minutes. It's a pretty different proposition to... Yeah, so, I mean, we're sidetracking slightly, but I think with electric cars, if the batteries don't improve, which I think it's unfair to say they won't. I know battery technology hasn't really improved that much for the last however many years, like, I don't want to put a date on it, but we're still using lithium-ion, so the chemistry hasn't changed much. There have been other improvements, you know, we saw nanotech and things like that coming in, but there's been nothing breakthrough that makes you suddenly go, yes, we can build a long-range car of this. Right, so there haven't been any kind of order of magnitude leaps for a really long time. But if I can charge my car in 20 minutes and I can do it when I, wherever I shop or wherever I pull over at services and things like that, that that's doable. That, that's a yeah. change of li- style and that will work. The same as if I can charge up at work, I then could get to and from work. And it's really... Electric cars will do commuting well. I I was I could commute to work on a 20 to 40 minute journey happily with one. The problem is that I can't do that once in a month long trip. Right. And, you know, how long does it take to fill up a car? Seconds.
self-savor mechanism that will steer your mind. So that was Information Runs On by Faded Paper Figures. Um, the, the chorus mentions, you know, uh, isolate the neurons. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that a little bit later and talk more about the uh, information part of this and, you know, the con- constant influx of information that we all have. Um, one of the big pieces of news lately, of course, has been um, Google announcing Google Glass, which are these wearable, well, the, la- the latest wearable computers. The longest drawn-out announcement in the world ever since they've been walking around with them for months, it feels like. I think the, the PlayStation 4 announcement where they talked for four hours and didn't show anyone a PlayStation 4 is uh, close competitor to that. <laughs> Vaporware. No, I mean, Google Glass, they didn't they announce that if I had a glass or something you, on Twitter, you could try and get one for a cheap price of £1,500. Right. It's not It's not a competition to win one or pay uh, 1500 quid or dollars. It's win a competition for the privilege of paying $1,500. And, and then, so, so Frank Swain, who we had on the show before, the science punk, uh, he talked about zombies. Series 1, I think that was. Uh, do, wait, do, do zombies wear computers? No, but he made a really good point. But everyone said, oh, do my holiday and, you know, record it and do this and record it. And he pointed out that all they were saying they would do Google Glasses was what you can do with a GoPro camera or any of these other cameras you can buy for sports, which are brilliant. You get this wonderful footage of just people going down ski slopes. But that isn't actually what Google Glasses can do. I don't think anyone really knows exactly what it can do yet, but it can interact with the internet, it can work out where you are, it can do all these other things. So... What I think they were looking for is something to come up with something quite novel, which I couldn't come up with, otherwise I would be buying a pair. Oh, yeah, I think these are the kind of ideas where, you, where, where people will, will realise the really novel applications only once they've started playing around with them a bit. But I think that's what the whole I, that competition was about. You had to right. find something novel. They don't want to see another person skiing down a ski slope with well, glasses on. And, and, well, one of the big problems I see with things like GoPro is that... Um, so, you know... I'm, I went skiing a few weeks ago some people had GoPros and sure enough they got hours and hours of footage of them skiing down a hill and that's great but they also still need to go and edit this um, and try and find try and find the interesting highlights and I think one of the interesting slash scary aspects of um, Google Glass and similar things there's another similar product called uh, Autographer which is a wearable camera that's apparently figures out for itself when you it continuously takes photographs but it figures out which ones you might think are interesting and saves those ones uh, based on, you know, if you're running or you know, things changing rapidly around you and so on. No idea if it works, but it's, it's an interesting idea in there. But it, but it, but it, in 
in some of the kind of fictional applications of this, in um, Charles Stross has a, has a book called Halting States in a near future um, independent Scotland and following around, among others, uh, a policewoman who has to wear at all times uh, a life logger, which you know records everything she sees, records all the conversations, does text to speech on them, and she and she has some command or thought or eye movement or something to tag interesting things in the log so that she doesn't have to go back later and watch all of it. But see, I think that's, that is cool. That is kind of useful because we all have days we can't remember things and it's where you index this and all that. And that isn't the technology that Google are putting out. Okay, they're a search company. They probably will come out with a decent way of indexing a life log. But this, I get the feeling they want something more from it. But his, this is you're just mentioning uh, recording everything from the police. Did you notice when the meteorite uh, landed in Russia recently, did you notice it was all filmed from desktop desk, dash cams on cars? Because this is a really big thing in Russia, right? Because, because um, road accidents are, w- are really common in Russia. Well, it's it. also their ju- their courts have basically pushed to the point where they just don't trust anyone unless they have a dash cam, which makes sense. But if once it becomes ubiquitous, everyone has video footage because it always wins the court case. Where I mean, why would you trust someone in the court case when both people have a vested interest unless you have another witness? And if, and if you have a, a digital witness on everyone's dashboard, then not only do you get really great shots of breaking news, yeah, well, <laughs> which, which Sky News initially reported as a meteorite hits London, which I... Which I quite liked. It's, it's on the other side of the Atlantic to the United States. But you know, it's got you know, it's all Pacific. It doesn't really matter. Right, it's a big, big grey thing. You know, um, being destroyed. But but the uh, there was a, the, I read an article by a guy who's basically been wearing a Google Glass type thing of his own design. So Steve from, Mann, possibly the guy the, the guy who has it bolted to his skull. And the, no, so no. the guy who they so Steve Mann's uh, interesting because he's have his camera almost bolted to his skull and it's really right on his eye and uh, he's been using it it's, it's to help you with really bad eyesight is what one of the things it does because if you can't see by putting the image right on the eye of course you can see right 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 I mean not if you're blind no but it helps now this, 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 this other person is, is, is just a, a researcher and lecturer who has been building Augmented reality systems for a long time. So for his one, for example, can overlay the um, the tube and bus maps on on the world while you while he's just you know walking around the street. He can see where the various tube trains are going to run around him. Um, and he actually explicitly designed his uh, to not uh, save anything to permanent storage. So it would just it would continuously record, but um, delete the data almost immediately. Uh, but a while ago, he was um, there was he was involved in a hit and run. He was walking, you know, crossing the road or something, and someone um, crashed into him and ran over his feet. And he um, and he only he, he got a picture of the driver's you know face and car and license plate, but only because in the collision um, his equipment was knocked off and it stopped it stopped running. It got disconnected and stopped turned off. So the last few seconds were still on the hard disk, and so he realised, "Hey, I can scrape this out of here." But it's kind of it's kind of funny that he'd explicitly designed it to not be able to do this, and then by by accident, it was very useful to him. Yeah. So Steve Mann actually something similar happened. He got assaulted in France in a McDonald's, and his thing doesn't keep the images because it's for eye vision problems, uh, uh, and he got damaged when they smashed him around the head. Uh, and yeah, so I don't know if there was ever result from that but he was that came quite vocal because he said it was assault which it probably was but he had photos of the people who had assaulted so i think there is a there is a use for collecting this information i'm not sure that's what google glasses is doing because these cameras have existed for a while and especially google glasses glass sorry not glasses does kind of make you look like an idiot 
Well, well yeah, there, there was there was a lot of people talking about um, Sergey Brin, one of the um, heads of Google, um, gave, gave a talk where he explained that you know, that smartphones are emas- emasculating that, you know, that that poking a piece you know a piece of glass in your hand is. Um, it, you know, it somehow makes you less manly, uh, whereas wearing a computer on your face does not. And there's obviously a whole raft of problems with this, starting with you know, what about the other half of the population? So um, where did he come up with this? Um, the idea of wearing glasses, wearing a computer <laughs> on your face. But I, I think I'm not. People kind of laugh a little bit at um, folks wearing Bluetooth earpieces. Well, that but I think it's because there's really no benefits to wearing one of those it, rather than holding a phone to your face, except when you're driving. And they often flash blue. Right. They're, they're often quite ostentatious and so on. Yeah. But, uh, whereas I, th- I actually think, I guess, this, I guess this shows I'm in the target demographic, that if someone was wearing um, Google Glasses or some other kind of wear- wearable computer, I think it was pretty cool. Uh, see, I would rather, if I was going to go down the life blogging side of it, I think I would want something I could just clip subtly on me. I mean, I'd be tempted just to even record everything as audio. That'd be really useful. The number of times I've forgotten what someone said to me. But again, I guess the indexing problem is less of a problem if you only want to look things up occasionally. Yeah, and somehow do all that. That'd be cool. But they don't. But th- there are, again, social problems about whether it's actually acceptable to record people without telling them all the time. Yeah, listeners, w- would you be annoyed? I mean, I guess right now we're being, we being recorded while having our conversation, but at least we know. But would you, would you be bothered if people, people were recording you going about your everyday life? And if so, why are you not bothered by CCTV? Good question. And the other one, of course, is have, how many companies now don't phone you? I think it's probably no- Sorry, don't record your phone calls. Right. Is the, why, 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 why do we still need to tell everyone the beginning of every phone call? Please notice, recall my, my monitor, where in fact you could just turn it around. And what is the training purpose? <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone know? Let us know if you do.
So that was Lithium Flower from the soundtrack of Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, which, for people who don't know, is the TV series rather than the movies. Uh, which have some pretty serious diversions? Yes, yeah, so the, the, the characters are quite different, though they are the same characters. And to make it even more confusing, there is a movie that comes from the TV series. So it's, I think it might have been a director DVD thing. I don't know, because I wasn't living in Japan and it's an anime thing and I saw it in the cinema but I saw it at the Cambridge Film Festival which so, is, is, is the natural place to, so if to I see haven't obscure, uh, totally confused you basically it was originally a comic strip I guess a manga and then they made a movie of it which was very pretentious and it's still quite good but very very pretentious and then they made a TV series and then they made a few other movies of confusing which narrative they follow but what is very cool and what is consistent in it is to set in a future with loads and loads of technology where people are effectively normally cyborgs there maybe there are several who aren't but they don't really feature in it much oh so so so, so it's not just an elite elite few who have various augment- augmentations it's it's ubiquitous well so i mean one of the great things that they sort of do because it's quite playful is when they got all these operators in a room at one point and they need to deal with the fact that they have to process a large amount of information and immediately the sort of standard you know, the temp workers, as it were, of the building, their hands just pop open. Instead of having, like, five fingers, they then split out into 20 thing, like little things and tap on the keyboard really fast. It doesn't seem the most efficient way of doing it, but it, that sort of person's I'm not, not really sure I would type much faster if I had 20 fingers. It is quite, it's quite a cool effect, though you do wonder why they don't just do what the lead character does, and she just basically jacks into her brain whenever she needs to hack something. So that she doesn't have to type, she just thinks. Yeah, though it does seem to regularly... that a lot of people do this, and it has side effects that people then hack back so people's Mm. brain this is what you're talking about with not trusting software engineers that people are hacking into each other's brains and it it comes up in a lot of the different formats of the story one of the biggest problems is this idea of puppeteering people so 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 this is compromising compromising someone who has who has attached the the network the cloud directly to their brain so yeah one of the um characters and it's not till solid state society the the movie that spins out of the tv series that one of the characters actually gets this sort of augmentation to his body and he's resisted it for a long time because he doesn't want it and in that he gets hacked and there's this emotional scene where basically he walks to a hospital where the guy wants to kidnap his daughter uh he then lets go of the daughter tells her to run and the guy's making him hold a gun to his head and he's fully conscious and he's chatting to the guy his abductor but he has no control of his own body Huh. And I'm not going to tell you how that ends. That, w- that would be a spoiler of sorts. It would be a spoiler. Yeah. Um, but it's quite interesting. They have all these other ideas like cyber brain. So the brain unit for people who have had this amount of augmentation is called a cyber brain. And again, the major, the lead character, she most of her body isn't hers. Most of her body is a prosthetic to the point that she actually on a few occasions just ro- remotely controls other bodies so she doesn't have to look like who she is. She's doing it wirelessly. That could occasionally be useful, I suppose. It's very useful, I think, when you're a uh, high-tech crime-fighting organisation. But it can also be very useful if 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 you were if you were a reporter, you know, and you could, um, if if they're assuming that, of course, that the remote bodies were people who who were perfectly happy to be remotely controlled. Well, these are just drones, effectively. Oh, even better, so consciously controlled drones. Right. So rather than having to fly fly to you know different in different part of the world to interview someone, or have to having to conduct it over the internet you could be remotely present by uh, some kind of drone. Yeah, no, it's cool. It's co- all as she tries is to, because she's quite good at this, she uses multiple ones at the same time. Huh. But uh, that, that 
she there's a point where she loses control and it just collapses on the floor because she can't control that many bodies at once. I think controlling one is probably enough. For I have enough trouble on days. You know, most mornings can't do it. Yeah. But this idea of so this idea of information overload. This, so this is in the future where there's huge amounts of information. Uh, I also, when making this BBC program, was able to meet up with uh, Nigel Shudbolt. No, do, do you know him? I have never heard of him. Tell me about so him. So he was instrumental, actually, in setting up data.gov.uk. Oh, interesting. And he's, he's, a, he's got a good friend called Tim Bernard-Lees who did something called the World Wide Web. Describe, he was described in... Um, it was some... some perhaps it was even the Olympic opening ceremonies, and the, the caption for him was Tim Berners-Lee, web developer. Like, well, that is accurate. Like, he is... He, he is a web developer, and he ha- also developed the web, you know? I, I love the fact that there's a lot of fallout from a lot of people when he got that on the Olympics going, but America invented the internet. <laughs> and it's one of those big things that so many people don't realise that the web pages and the internet are two different technologies. Right. But try and separate them now and you can't really. Yeah, definitely de- definitely not in, in consciousness. But anyway, going back to Nigel, what was quite nice is when we met with him, we spoke about a lot of stuff that couldn't really get in the show because it... He is interested in data, and data isn't something that really links in with cyborgs in the way you think about them. But we talked about lifelogging, we talked about this idea of augmenting people, and his thing is he set up a thing a while ago called Memories for Life, the idea of having memories that last forever. And we got to ask him about, well, one, is that a good thing? Do we need to forget? And of course, we don't know. No one's had a perfect memory. Well, not very many people. And having that level of memory could it be quite damaging if you just give it to an average person the other one was that he's trying to do is, is can we help the elderly with these technologies and there are people already who they record everything for their day and then they play it back to them in the evening and it helps them to fight things like dementia and this seems much less invasive than the uh, memento approach of tattooing everything that happens in your day on yeah. your body which yeah. obviously doesn't scale for very long unless you've got an extremely large body or very small fonts. And a very high pain threshold. Right, right. But, he, I mean, he was interesting because he sees the way things are going, but we, we're not talking about direct human augmentation, but, you know, our phones and our computers are getting so powerful that eventually they will have an AI, an artificial intelligence, that will be managing our data for us. So when we want something, we just ask for it. We don't need to go and manage it because even... I don't know about you, but I have information overload these days on the amount of stuff I'm trying to keep control of, and I lose half of it. And uh, yeah, m- and my solution to this is just to not try and remember it and, <laughs> and leave it all all up to software, which is great until the battery dies. Yes, and I think I think one of the big problems here is going to be the is is the is the retrieval interface, uh, which I guess is why the AI AI aspect of his ideas yeah, might, so might, might he, be pretty interesting because because you know a lot of people have um, recent smartphones where you can ask them a question and they'll answer it for you and. It works, you know, 90% of the time, and then the other 10% of the time it mishears you or decides that actually you want, you know, you're asking for a train to Bulgaria, and actually you just wanted to know what, to, um, what time your haircut is. And I mean, asking something what time my haircut is is rather different going, can you remember that occasion where we bumped into that fella who you know the one, but you know, and that's kind exactly, of exactly. inquiry is we do all the time with friends, but I remember there'll be something else there'll be other data that the other person's got to know what on earth you're talking about and we need computers to get that and that does artificial intelligence people think about the terminator level but actually that sort of managing information is still an ai a quite disappointing one for some people but it would be really useful if we can get there yeah and one of the things cam was saying last week um comes to mind here that the 
that pe people assume because of things like the Terminator that AI is way more advanced than it is and not only is it disappointingly not able to uh, produce fake people it's it's also not that good at solving these more um, more less obvious problems like, basically terrible syntax right but you know I think if anyone's ever programmed you know it's not forgiving if you put your comma in the wrong place I think if as, as long as every, we just teach everyone everyone SQL and then if, if you want if to devise so for people who don't know SQL is a database uh, searching language as, as long as you you like typing uh, you, you like typing things in in all caps in kind of stilted English as in the style that seemed to be fashionable in computing in the 70s then you're going to love the next version of Siri <laughs> yeah um, on that note <laughs> on that note yeah
So that was Always On My Mind by the Pet Shop Boys. And those who were watching on the webcam could have seen Will dancing along to it. It's, it's a good song. It's a good song. And... I, I like dancing when I, when, when I think I feel like no one's watching but actually people are watching we've got a webcam going out to the entirety of the internet Absolutely. and interconnected bunch of people watching you so it's almost as if you're all some kind of hive mind while you're listening to our show and actually um, we, we got an email a while ago from a listener um, suggest uh, telling us that um, uh, telling us that maybe these um, the cyborgs can communicate um, like these um mind-melded rats so it's the song that the pet shop boys seem kind of appropriate actually yeah so what the listener emailed in about was something we had in the notes and we were we were getting there we were uh thank you for doing it though because if we hadn't known it it's quite recent so on the this appeared in nature news on the 28th of february and it's a study about two rats on either side of the atlantic i believe uh anyway they um Oh no, 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 North and South America. North and South America. That's, that's similar difference. Anyway, Atlantic they, uh, Equator. <laughs> they, uh, but what they did, which is this is the important part rather than where they were, is they had connected their brain by a chip that meant that one rat could control the other rat. And there's a lot of question about what was actually going on, but the technology they were using is the same technology that they sort of used in the past. So a rat can control a movable hand. So it's. it's or a brain gate, I think is what it's sometimes called. And what we just want to see is what could they interface? And the answer is they could. So so the, so the rats could help each other out? Yes. Well, wow. maybe, because who knew what they were doing? They don't know what they're doing. Uh, um, there's, there's, there's quite a deep question in there about whether, whether rats know what they're doing. So there was some criticism. Uh, this is Lee Miller, a physiologist in Northwestern University in Everston, uh, Illinois. Uh, he said that it was an interesting study from the point of neural interfaces, but it could have been mistaken for a poor Hollywood science fiction script. I, I like that it's not just a Hollywood science fiction script, it's a poor one. A poor one, because they're, they're, they're very rare, those. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, and he, he adds the point that I, I would say, it's not clear to what end the, it's been do, done for. Why are they doing this? Um, I don't think you necessarily have to have a reason, as long as, there's, as, long as it's humane. Isn't, um, isn't this the point of science? You, just, you do things because, just because they... Some, someone thinks one day, what about what if we had uh, telepathic rats? But see, this is what's really upsetting because they say it is not telepathy. It oh. is not the Borg, but it's a nerve, single nervous system created from two brains. I don't. I. I thought that was the Borg. Are they, yeah, are they saying this is this is a lower level thing than than, than the Borg? I, I think it is a lower level thing. Borg. Uh, but also, the other thing is the rats didn't immediately turn around and try and assimilate their owners. But, but did they put them near any other rats? Maybe, maybe, maybe they would have tried to affiliate, uh, assimilate other rats. Do, do you think they would have started the same resistance as Futile? Because that would scare me—a rat starting to speak English. Uh, well, yeah, actually, that would scare me more than um, the, the, the telepathic bit, really. Yeah, and maybe we'd have to give them the entire box set of Star Trek: Next Generation first <laughs> to bring them up to speed on the cultural references they can expect. Yes, or, or, or will be expected to produce. It, it is important that if you are going to be a hive-minded rats that you get it right are you aware of uh, there is a kind of a hive-minded rat thing that I got reminded uh, Dean Burnett's blog post on The Guardian which was slightly f stupid not stupid that's mean it was silly he's always right he's a comedian he doesn't write sensible things uh, remind me of a thing called a rat king rat king they're really disgusting is this, is this some kind of rat made up of many other rats yeah they basically get they grow up together in such tight confinement that their feces and everything stick and tails get all knotted together so they can't they have to live as a single organism 
I think this was mentioned on Roderick on the Line, and I assumed that that was just John Roderick talking rubbish. No, no, there's a, there's a Wikipedia page with pictures if you want to see. I'm going to avoid this picture. Yeah. Uh, so, and obviously, how big they are depends on uh, the bigger they are, the rarer they are. But they do exist, and they're horrible, horrible things. So they do kind of become a social so- organism. Social? I don't know if you're, if you're tied to it, it might be a bit antisocial, but. Yeah, well, they probably end up hating each other. They must. But, 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 but I, I kind of feel sorry for these rats because there's actually quite a lot of you know prior cultural references. They're going to have to watch a lot of television to understand. You know, they're going to have to watch all of Doctor Who. They're going to have to watch Blade Runner, which you have to be in a particular mood to enjoy. Yeah, it's a slow film. I mean, you know, right now it's a bit similar. to, You know, James Grime. I do know James Grime. Yeah, previous listeners, you may also know him. He is preparing for a Star Trek special show of for science fiction, and he's currently working his way through the entire back catalogue of Star Trek episodes just so he's ready for when the new movie comes out. That's dedication to the cause. That's dedication. So you know these are important things to be faced, but it's not just the Borg. They're with the Cybermen, apparently. Yeah, they're, they're hive mind. I, it's hard to tell. They're not really. They don't really let on to that. They're quite monosyllabic. Yeah. Um, they're mostly keen on upgrading people and then possibly deleting people yeah and Doctor Who of course they have the Ood which if people don't know the ones who have a brain they hold in front of their face which I've always thought evolutionary wise I mean the Doctor said it may they must be peaceful I kind of felt it was just asking for problems but it, it, how do you eat if you have to hold your own brain Using the m- massive tentacles on the front of your face, apparently. Oh, that's but, 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 but weren't they also glass? These brains. So no, that's what the doctor realised that they'd be made, they'd be modified into a going bolt orb to make them into a a ser- servant. Really, they could be controlled because they then had one of the master brains control, like plugged into a computer, sort of a cyborg esque, and that's why they're rebelling when actually they were meant to have an actual brain in front of them. But that was that that, that that had been amputated by their mysterious controller. Yeah. Uh, yeah. By the way, you've been asked to do the Harlem Shake for the next song over email. Um, can I do the one which was performed by a um, by a washing machine, uh, which someone threw a brick into, which, <laughs> which mostly consists of like of jumping around a bit then falling over, and emitting a lot of smoke. <laughs> Let's not repeat that in the studio. Uh, so. You were telling me uh, during the break that this there was a hive mind in Doll's House. Yeah, I've 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 had a bit of a you know, Doll's House Dollhouse binge recently. Um, and towards the end of the second season, where one of the characters ends up in a kind of in a weird hive mind military unit, um, where, where, where all all the all the all the soldiers um, kind of communicate as one through the power of their their thoughts, um, and it reminded me really strongly of a, a TV show I'd completely forgotten called Dark Angel uh, not to be confused with Angel um, another Joss Whedon show um, where they, which involved Dark Angel involved a woman with cat DNA yeah and various people with various different animal DNA for reasons that were never really that well explained. the dog was never as attractive as a woman with cat DNA though. Yeah, maybe, maybe that wasn't the goal of the experiments <laughs> but they had some, some, some um, a, a bunch of um genetically engineered children I think it's been a while so maybe someone will correct me um, who had been crossed with bats and so they had this kind of they, they had they, they communicated as a kind of uh, they communicated using very high pitched uh, sonar and then acted as a single unit which I don't think bats do um, but you know, um, you know it's artistic license but I mean the, the idea of a military using a high mind I mean that is not 
ridiculous. I mean, I suppose in a way that's what you are trying to do with chains of command and leadership. Right, you're, you're, you're trying to uh, make people, to remove people's instinct for you know, self-determination and follow the instructions that are handed down to them. Yeah. And, right. and act as a cohesive unit. So if you could do that by modifying their brains, then sure, why not? Ethically questionable, but might make you win a war. That's never happened in war before. Yeah. It, I guess that's really the, one of the core dilemmas of all wars. How ethical are they? Uh, well, moving slightly to a tangent, another thing... So we've been talking a lot about cyborgs, so augmenting brains, so making rats not the Borg, and uh, making people see infrared. One thing which I found really cool is there's a guy called Kevin Warwick... Who, who will, of course, always come up in any conversation about cyborgs. He has a reputation. Now, he's from the University of Reading, and he he's a very good publicist. Uh, and he one thing he's been involved in is trying to grow brains onto robots rather than robots onto people. Oh, so 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 he rather than repla- replacing bits of people's bodies or grafting new things onto them, the plan is to make a make a new human shell. So he's been making little robots where you then put neurons on top of growing on in the media above them and then you feed these little things and you end up with a little brain and the little brain then starts doing stuff and I did try and pin him down what exactly these brains can do in these robots and they make them move around I don't have any successes in how they move around or stuff like that so but, but these, these are grown from what like rat like brains rat, rat brains or rat stem cells or something so, in the- yeah so in the same way there's plenty of people doing the cultures of cells or neurons so it's, it's that sort of technology and of course he managed to make it into a big story by saying we could do this with human brains and that ethically became questionable but there is there is serious ethics about this because at what point does your rat brain become you know if it gets bigger than a rat brain it might be more intelligent and your robot might be have rights and then you've got to work out well what level of rights because tissue culture and uh, human rights are a long way apart from each other. There is a load of acts on what you are and aren't allowed to do with tissue, especially human tissue, after people basically just taking it without permission. Uh, but I think this is a much more. We don't know where it is. This is a much more immediate version of the, of the dilemma than for uh, purely software artificial intelligences, which is, which, which is in itself an interesting question. You know, if you if you do succeed in making an artificial consciousness running in software, is it? Is it is it okay ethically to turn it off if you've created it with a genetic algorithm by basically randomly mutating your software until your software can think? Is and then it, stum- it stumbles upon one which happens to be okay. Is that it, it, can you turn it off? We don't know. We'll have to work that one out when we get there. Anyway, that's all we've got for today. So thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week for the last episode of a series. Uh, and, and for now, you can enjoy the uh, dulcet tones of Kraftwerk uh, singing about robots. See you next week.
Thank you. 